What's up, everyone? Welcome to this episode of The Colin and Samir Show. Colin, what are we talking about? Today, we're talking about the fallout of the crypto exchange FTX and if creators should be vetting the brands that they work with. Next, we talk a little bit about LinkedIn. Then we talk about how Samir and I actually shot the Mr. Beast Burger documentary and go into why we didn't charge for it and why we didn't even work with a brand on it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. All right. Lastly, yeah. we get into some pretty serious gripes. Yeah, big time. The, the end of the pod is all gripes. So if you have a gripe with that- Then don't listen then, to the end. Then don't listen to the end of the pod. <laughs> but good um, thing for you, you're at the beginning. That's right. Uh, before we get into it, I seriously just want to reiterate, just thank you to everyone for all the support uh, on our latest upload. It really means a lot to us. Appreciate it. Appreciate all the commentary on the subreddit. Uh, and if we don't answer your question in this episode, we'll pop into the subreddit, answer some of your questions you have on that video. All right, let's get into it. Call, you remember crypto? Yeah, I think about it from time to time. Yeah, I remember it. It was a beautiful time. There was, a, there was an incredible rise. And something that you and I talked about a lot was that it was a currency based on storytelling. At a time during the pandemic when all stories were told digitally. Yes. Right? Like there was like TV wasn't the same as it was. There were no movies coming mm -hmm. out. And so it was like whatever's happening on Twitter, whatever's happening on YouTube, Instagram, that's the story. Yeah. And that was the time for crypto. The funniest thing to me right now in this saga of FTX, which if you're unfamiliar, we will explain in a second uh, what exactly happened. But the funniest thing to me is to think back to all the people who were like, hey, crypto is not regulated. It's kind of a dangerous thing. And, and, and the majority of people are being like, shut up, nerd. Get rich on crypto, man. Or, <laughs> or even just being like, yeah. That's the point. Right. Or you're like, yeah, that's why it that's works. That's why it works. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So now let's explain the FTX scenario. And instead of us explaining it to you, we're going to have Haley Sachs, uh, otherwise known as Mrs. Dow Jones, explain it to you in an Instagram reel. This whole thing with FTX is crazy. The founder, Sam, was taking money out of his crypto exchange, FTX, and funneling it into his hedge fund, Alameda, and using a token he invented, FTT, as collateral. Then he was just spending the money. The man was literally the biggest donor to the Democratic Party in the midterm election. So Binance, this other crypto exchange, invested early in FTX and got a lot of these FTT tokens as part of the deal. And when they found out what was happening with all of this, they sold all their FTT, which made everyone else sell all their FTT. And in 72 hours, there were $6 billion worth of withdrawals on FTX, which is money that they obviously didn't have because Sam had spent it all through Alameda. So then Sam, not knowing what to do, tried to get Binance to buy him. And they were like, no, bro, your books are cooked. So now FTX filed for bankruptcy. It sucks that people lost money, but this was risky to begin with. This is a completely unregulated industry. When you take away the celebrity marketing from FTX, it's literally just a crypto exchange run by a random man named Sam. You're giving him your money and you're hoping for the best, but there's a big chance that you might not get it back. This is why I always say to put 5% of your portfolio max into crypto. It's super risky. Oh, and if you want to learn how to invest in stocks and bonds, I'm your girl. Check out my beginner investing course, Let's Invest. Stay rich. So... The important part to take out of that is that she says, without celebrity marketing, yes. it's just a crypto exchange by a guy named Sam. And that's why this is so relevant to us and all of you in our community, 
this crypto exchange, FTX, utilized a ton of creator marketing. And we wrote about this in the published press, but you know, creators like Graham Stephan, Tom Nash, Andre Jick, Meet Kevin, a lot of creators ran integrations and ads for FTX and have now had to come out and apologize because, you know, they've encouraged people to buy, they've ran ads for them and people have lost money. So this brings up a big conversation in just like celebrity and influencer marketing. I do want to acknowledge we were offered multiple crypto marketing deals during this era. And we actually turned down all of them because of our discomfort with any of our audience members buying into an investment, losing money, making money. We just didn't want any connection really to the, to the promise of making money. That to me was, was uncomfortable. If it was, you know, crypto in the context of, of something else, maybe it was like art or some premise that wasn't based in buy this and you could become a millionaire. Like, I don't like that premise at all. Some of the crypto companies based more around art and distributing art and NFTs, whether it's like Mirror, sure. which we use to launch our NFT yeah. or Foundation or Zora. That to me is like, these are a way to get art out into the world. They're distribution platforms that are different. Uh, they have a different way of financing your art than we're used to with advertising yeah. like on social platforms. So, you know, just just if you don't understand the, the premise, like really quick, whoever has money in a bank the reality is like the thing that all banks are, you know, prepared for is in the weird off chance that we all want to pull out our money at the exact same time, the government will come in and help the bank. And the reason is because the bank also takes that money and invests it, right? So they take all of the money that, that we put into a bank and they go out and invest it. This guy, Sam, was kind of doing the same thing. You're but telling me my money is not just sitting in a vault. It's and not it's in gold it's coins. Not. It's crazy, right? And I can numbers, swim in it like Scrooge. It's McDuck. just numbers on a screen that may or may not be there. But if you do want to pull it out, and again for some crazy reason, everyone wants to pull it out at the exact same time, the government will step in and be like, "Hey, here, here you go," just to make sure that like the banks are, and that's a regu- that's like a government regulated financial institution. Crypto was not that. So when you know, everyone wanted to pull out their money. The money wasn't there because Sam was spending it. That's such a crazy scenario. But yeah, the, the, the primary thing here is Larry David was in the Super Bowl commercial. We had creators on YouTube um, talking about FTX. This was one of the biggest marketers in the crypto space. So us as creators, the, the question becomes, do we hold a responsibility to vet the people who are marketing us? I think yes. But to what extent? Yeah. Are, how equipped are we potentially to vet even any company yeah. when we don't have access mm-hmm. to what they're doing? And I would layer on top of that, that like in any creative partnership, if the other party does something that you don't agree with or that like hurts your brand, you both have to be able to terminate. Like when we sign deals with mm-hmm. brands, it's yeah. in there that if you and I do yeah. something. Right, right. That can that terminate. It's not yeah. conducive to like their brand. Mm-hmm. They can terminate. And it has to go the other way too. And it has to go the other it way too. It has to go the other way. The thing that's happening is you're also, you're betting your, your credibility. It's not, I think as creators, we all have to understand it's not just a check. This is your credibility. Like what we say to you guys, to our audience, what we talk about, if we don't really believe in it or know about it, it's a risk. And at the same time, you have to organize yourself in a way where this is the business that we're in. Like marketing for these companies is the business we're in. 
And that is, it, it's, it's a challenging scenario. This has happened with yeah. other brands in the past. I would say this is the biggest situation where it's a brand that people had their money tied up in and lost a lot of money and might have felt like they were able to trust the brand because Graham Stephan was talking about it. Andre Jick was talking about it. Tom Brady was talking about it. Steph Curry was talking about it. Larry David was in the commercial. Like for me, I don't know why Larry David being in their commercial for me, I was like, Larry doesn't need money. So if he's in the commercial, he's probably into it. But Larry likes money. But Larry probably he likes money. He made a lot of money at Seinfeld, you know? That's got to do something to you. I, yeah, maybe I'm wrong, but I looked at it and I was like, does Larry David need money? Because if he doesn't need money, then he's got to feel like FTX isn't a big risk for him. Yeah, and I think someone like Larry David being in an ad, there, there's a great quote here from the published press from creator Tom Nash. He says, these guys, referring to FTX, paid me $50,000 per month. The idea was that they pay me all this money to promote a company that's sponsored by BlackRock and Sequoia. Tom Brady's promoting them. That's a creator's dream. Right. Right. So there's also an element of some brands are very aspirational to be working with. And you don't expect aspirational brands to shoot you in the foot. And FTX in a short amount of time was able to spend money to become an aspirational brand, which made them trusted. They looked rock solid. I mean, they, they, they sponsored the Miami Heat's arena. It's FTX arena. Which was a 19-year, $135 million sponsorship. Yeah. If someone signs a 19-year, $135 million sponsorship, my impression of them, and if they're sponsoring the Miami Heat, like my impression is that company is not going away for at least 19 years. Yeah. They must be somewhat reputable and trusted. It's hard to vet. And I think, you know, a, a large thing that, you and I talk about when it comes to sponsorship, you know, one, we want to make sure we are incredibly familiar with how to use the product and that we have used the product. And we also want to make sure it's a really reputable brand. And that actually limits us when it comes to sponsorship dollars. It does. We've, again, we've said no to high six figure deals that we did not believe in uh, or that we couldn't vouch for ourselves. So I think as creators, if you want to make sure the brands that you're working with are legit and you believe in them, you're going to sacrifice in dollars. You are. Brands that are legit experience problems at times. Yeah, for sure. Like, and it's just the reality that you're going to be attached to them, right? Mm -hmm. So that's all. It's just a risk. Whenever you partner with anybody that's not yourself, yeah. you have to incur some of that risk that you're now connected to something that's not you, that you don't have control over. You don't show up every day at work for that. I think one of the challenges is that as creators, one of the biggest products that we're creating is trust. You know, like you guys who are listening to us, like we want the basis of this relationship to be trust. And that I think is, is the biggest challenge when it comes to sponsorship. And I, I do think from an audience perspective, from a creator perspective, like we will do our best to make sure that the sponsors we work with, you can trust and we trust but we don't have control over what they do. Anything could happen. I think also another thing we try and do is say, look, this sponsor of ours, it is right for you or it may be right for you if you're this subset of our audience. Right. Right? Because mm -hmm. it's not like every sponsor we work with, every member of our audience is like, yeah, that's okay. Sure, sure. Yeah. I'll do that. Mm -hmm. So I think it's like you have to add a little bit of nuance, but you're right. Trust and the, the lack of trust, losing that trust is what we risk. You know, the top comment on Graham Stephan's video where he apologizes about promoting FTX is 
Graham Stephan heavily promoted FTX. He was a paid sponsor up until the very end. Being easily fooled might be a fine defense, but it's also an argument to avoid taking his advice. So this one, right? that's the top comment. This wow. one series of brand deals could potentially affect his entire business. Not his ability mm-hmm. to get more brand deals. Sure, but yeah. But his ability to actually have an impact when he does promote a brand. And that's the business for him. Like that, he's in the business of advertising. Right. I wonder if any, uh, it depends on what the contracts look like, but there, there might be a world where creators can actually sue FTX. Yeah. I wonder about that because again, like when we sign contracts with brands, if we do something wrong, right. they can terminate and they can most likely. There, there's some contracts where the language says they can get their money back or, yeah. you know, yeah. And I'm sure in some instances, instances they could like take legal action if it's really that damaging. Yeah, if it's damaging to their brand. Yeah, but sometimes these brands can also be damaging. Yeah, to I the mean, creators. Th- th- that's a great example right there. Like they, they, there's a level of trust that Graham also has in the sponsor that you're not going to lose all everyone's money, and that's what they did. So who like, knows, man? Who, who knows? But like, I'm curious to hear, you know, especially the creators who listen to the show. Like, how do you feel about vetting sponsors? Um, you know, it's something that we're, we're, we're very serious about here. And also something that I think as I look forward, creators who, who explore and, and diversify in a way where the audience is also, you know, a contributor to the business, I think is really interesting. TMG obviously is a great example of this. Cody Cohen, Noel Miller, where the Patreon or TMG studios, you know, it's a monthly membership from audiences. And so they have this base where they can say no. That's the thing is that if you have a base of your audience paying via Patreon or membership, you can say no to sponsor more sponsors, which then allows you to curate those sponsors to just the ones you trust. So the question for all creators is how do you get to a point where you can say no to sponsorship dollars? That can only happen when you're diversified to a point where you have that net and your monthly expenses are met or you have some plan, whether it's through merchandise, membership, you know, some other way where it's like, I can say no if I want to. I also think we should give a little bit of uh, like a more nuanced description of what vetting means for us. Because I think when mm-hmm. I hear the words, the word vet, like I've, we should vet these brands, I imagine a creator like doing a Google search. Sure. But that's not actually what... We do. I mean, in our situation, we actually develop more like human relationships with the people at the brands. And it's about yeah. building trust with the people that we'll be working with, the people on the teams of the product that we promote. Yeah, I think like we're fortunate to get pretty involved uh, mm-hmm. and close to the brands that we work with for the most part. And yeah. I don't think all no. creators have that. No, no, not all creators have that because they're also going through an agency or going through, you know, a couple different lines, but like Jelly Smack, for example, you know, when we first started working with them, we did a lot of conversations to deeply understand their business and also deeply understand the journey of one of our audience members when they reach out to Jelly Smack, what happens next? And then additionally, look at their contracts and say, what are the contracts with creators? What do they look like? Talk to some creators who have made deals. And, you know, because of the nature of our relationship, also helped creators make deals with them and been through that process. So that, that to me is a very intensive vetting, but to be as like, we're not, we're not just doing one deal here and there with these brands like Jelly Smack, Shopify. These are brands that I'm sure you guys notice are in a video of ours every single month. So I think Shopify on the other side as well, like getting very close to their team, being Shopify users ourselves, I think is huge. 
even before working with them. My family runs their business on Shopify. Like I can trust Shopify. But we also have gone down the road with other companies that make products and love the people there. But we kind of get to a point where it's not a bad product, but it doesn't necessarily work for our business. Mm -hmm. It's not something we would use at the moment. Mm -hmm. And we've not ran integrations with Mm-hmm. those companies. Yeah. You know, cause it's just like, that's not, that's not right for us right now. Yeah. We can't speak to that. If we can't speak honestly to it, then uh, that's like the number one vetting process. If we cannot speak honestly to it, then it's hard for us to do. Not to say we haven't done deals. We have in our 10 year history where it's like, we don't really use that product. Definitely. Of course we have. But today, the- now that we have the opportunity because we make enough money to say no, now we, we look at things in a different way, which is why I'm saying like, you have to figure out how to get yourself in a position where you can say no. And that's hard to do. I'm not, I'm not sitting here saying that everyone should say you know, no to, to brand deals if they have to make money. It's, it's hard, but it's a very complex situation because we want to trust the brands who are, who are spending with us. But here we, here we were in a situation where this guy was just running this crypto exchange in a very scammy way and lost a lot of people money. And how could you have known? Sometimes how could you have yeah. even vetted that? It's hard. Yeah. It's tough too. Again, like it's all about trust. And when you see Tom Brady and Steph Curry, you're like, well, clearly they have teams that, teams would that are this. vetting these yeah, things a yeah, lot yeah. more than. So by the transitive property, I vetted it. By the right. transitive <laughs> property. Yeah. That's okay. Like it's a casual ninth grade math, uh, reference, you know, <laughs> yeah. but like, it's not like I not? have any forensics that they don't to vet oh, this forensics. company. Yeah. Okay. Well, we'll turn it to you guys. I'm curious to hear your perspective on this as this continues to evolve. Let's get into some conversation that's happening in the Colin and Samir subreddit. First of all, if you're in our subreddit, you've probably noticed a lot of people making videos over the past week. We ran uh, a filmmaking contest just over the weekend. Uh, the, the, The prompt was that you had to make a 60 second video introducing yourself, telling us where you're from and telling us your dream project. And I think we got over 30 submissions. Blown away by the creativity in these submissions. One of the coolest things actually is seeing everyone's face who's in there and Mm -hmm. meeting everyone. Like I loved watching through all of these. There were some really funny ones. There were some really sweet ones, some really creative ones. Uh, All of it was really great. We have picked a winner and that winner is getting a gift box from one of our sponsors. You will find out about that in a YouTube short on our channel, but it was a super fun experience. And I would say one of the perks of being in our subreddit is I want to do this more. This was really cool. Um, I want to create a community of people who are creating and the winner, when we talked to him, one of the coolest things he said was one of the biggest things for him was just getting the kick in the ass to go make something Mm -hmm. because we, we put a time limit on it. And I agree with that. There's, I have so many ideas in my head that, if I don't have a deadline or a constraint, I'm just not going to make, but it'd be really helpful if someone was like, you have to sit in a room and make this right now. So I think that's such a value of, you know, something we used to do, which we always talk about bringing back, which is weekend film fest, where we used to give out a prompt on a Friday and you'd had till Sunday to make it. Um, I'd love to bring that back in the subreddit community because that last weekend was really cool to see people creating and see people commenting on each other's. There's a great quote. I don't know who it's from and I may botch it. Sure, botch it. I love doing this, but it's something around how artists don't need more ideas. They need more deadlines. And it was Ryan Trahan who said that to me. And I don't know if it was his quote, but there it is. I agree with that. I wholeheartedly agree with that. 
All right. Now, a lot of conversation in the subreddit about specific questions on the 24 hours with Mr. Beast doc. First question for you, Cole. It's been a couple of days. Just about 2 million people have watched it. How are you feeling? Whoa, that sounds crazy. Well, um, kind of blown away, to be honest. I think, you know, years and years ago, I said to you that I, I just want to make a documentary that millions of people watch. And mm -hmm. this feels like the truest interpretation of that. Within 48 hours, about 2 million people have seen this. And it's, the comments are honestly like overwhelmingly positive, And I feel like what we've been doing for the past 10 years has been leading up to mm -hmm. this moment to be able to storytell like that. And man, I'm just excited. I can't wait to do more things like it. Totally. I agree with but that. But it is a little overwhelming. Like there was a, a poll in the subreddit. Is this their best video yet? Yeah. So here's, here's the poll. Was we spent 24 hours with Mr. Beast, the best Colin and Samir video yet. And there's 60 votes. 42 people say yes. 18 people said no. But not we've also a huge gotten, sample size. Not a huge <laughs> sample size, but we've also gotten a lot of texts and feedback that yeah. like, this is clearly the best one yet. Yeah. Do more stuff like this. And it's like, oh man. Yeah. Yeah. All right. That's. Here's a comment that's interesting. Difficult. I, I wouldn't call it, this is from Razor GFX. I wouldn't call it the best, but then it's again, but then again, it's probably a matter of personal opinion. I consider it definitely the most cinematic and entertaining, but I do still find a couple of their interviews to be on the top of the list overall. It's interesting to hear like people's reactions and responses because, you know, th this, um, this piece and this type of content is hard to make. Like it's, it, we can't make this on a consistent basis. Um, and as we look to our content strategy of next year to answer all the questions asking, like, will we make more of this? The hope is yes, but we can't manufacture these scenarios. Like this has to be an honest situation where we're covering someone who's of, you know, who has a, 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 a lot on the line, who's in a situation that's a bit out of their control like there's a lot that went into this being a really interesting piece and event for us to be at. And it's very hard to manufacture a story. Like there's situations where we might go out to film something like this and it's not that interesting and then we don't put it out. Mm -hmm. So you can't, we can't build our entire business around these types of pieces because that will just force us to make not as good ones. So the reality is like realistically interviews, talking about creators is going to be the majority of what you see in 2023. But the hope is to do less to create more time and space for the next one of these. Yeah. What'd you call it again? Vlog you doc? Vlo uh, someone in the comments called it a docu vlog. Docu -vlog. The, the era of the docu vlog is coming. If you want to hear more just about, you know, us and talking to Chris Schwar, who's the editor of this, it's in our previous pod episode, which we put out Monday. So if you want to hear more about it, check that out. But there were specific questions around gear. So this comes uh, in the subreddit from Gypsy Jopsy. Uh, what gear did Colin and Samir use to shoot the Mr. Beast video? I would love a BTS video of the process. Was there a cameraman or did CNS shoot it all themselves? How many people did they interview? How much footage, footage did, didn't make it into the doc? So it was, it was shot by Samir and I. We each had uh, an EOS R on a small switch pod. Mm -hmm. Basically, that's what we were both equipped with. And, 
you know, for the most part, Samir was locked on to Jimmy and I was capturing like the overall experience more of like the B roll, but there were a lot of times where we were also, you know, in the same rooms, but yeah, it was a kind of a crazy experience of both Samir and I filming in different parts of the mall and then coming together, kind of talking a little bit about the story, what was happening, what was developing, if we needed to go talk to a different person, uh, like some of the restaurant staff. Um, and then we would sit in this coffee shop around the corner from the madness <laughs> and log the footage, charge our batteries yeah. and go back out. Yeah. And it was truly a crazy 24 hours of nonstop filming, logging footage, charging batteries and talking about the story. Yeah. The, the thing that was really cool was we would come back and look at footage that we got. Cause obviously there's, there's a lot that happened. Like the honest reality is Jimmy was in that hallway all day, right? Like you watch our video for 40 minutes. He was there from noon basically until midnight, like 12 hours in that hallway and then would come out and he actually couldn't be outside because it was causing security concerns. So there were a lot of conversations we didn't capture. There were yeah. some that we captured that we didn't include because there was just so much of it. There's, there hallway. was just so much footage in there, but I think we got the point across of what it was like. Um, this was a really interesting experience of, of what to leave in, what to leave out. Um, it was hard, you know, like there, there's a big question that again, you know, maybe we'll continue to leave unanswered. Did we get burgers? There's a whole interview with Jimmy's mom. That was, that was fun and interesting that we didn't include. And making a piece like this, you really have to, to boil it down to, if you can remove the scene and the story still plays, then you remove the scene. Yeah. Even if you love it. And you, you have to almost gauge what does the scene do for the piece? Is it release for the audience? Does it give them a breath? Does it add to the story? What is it? You know? Yeah. And, and if it's none of those things, then you got to just, is it just, I like it? And then I mean, you just it have to remove reminds it. me so much of learning how to write in high school where yeah. my teacher would always just say, every word matters. Mm -hmm. Like every word needs to be intentional. And that's kind of how it is with this piece. You have to look at every piece of footage, every segment, every section and say, does this serve a purpose for the audience? Yep. Um, so there's a question uh, from Mark Anthony, 2800 said, why didn't you employ a yes theory model? Why didn't the team make this exclusive to paying customers for the weekend for early access and then drop on Sunday. Pretty sure some people would have paid a few dollars or pay what, what's fair for some early access, especially for people who've been invested in Colin and Samir from the beginning. So there's a response to that from Corey Wagner. who said, I would have paid for it. Even if I didn't get to, even if I didn't get a chance to watch it until the free version came out over the weekend, I would have paid as a good excuse to support the boys. It's very sweet. Thank you. Yeah. I'm of the thought that you know, for what I, th this is like the first of its kind for us. Yeah. And I generally, uh, am not of the mindset where I want to charge for something when it's the first time we're doing it. Cause I don't necessarily, yeah. I don't want to even think about that side of it. I just like, we didn't put a brand deal on this. We didn't put any restrictions around when this was going to come out. This was just about taking a, a shot, doing an ex, a, truly an experiment, mm -hmm. you know? And I think even with Yes Theory, they did, when we did Frozen Alive with them. Which was the Wim Hof one. Which yeah. was the Wim that Hof was first. one. Yeah. That was first and it was free mm -hmm. on YouTube. And then the next time we did one, it was Pay What's Fair. Yeah, I think the reality with these, back to the sponsorship conversation, um, 
I don't know from a dollars and cents perspective if this will break even. But from a brand and business perspective, this it means a lot to us. And the ROI on this piece will be big. Um, the, when I say that in terms of dollars and cents, like obviously there was the trip out there, which was really expensive because we decided last minute to go. Um, there was, you know, stay, whatever, rented a car. There's also the two plus months of our, you know, time and effort into it, which is, you know, based on, we could have been doing other things. But again, as a brand, I think this was the most valuable thing we could invest in. I don't ever want to put brands on these types of pieces. So there does become a question in the future of now that we've built some trust with this style, is there a version of that or is it wrapped up, you know, when we look to 2023 in a Patreon or something where like your, some of your support goes to making more of these because these aren't easy to make. And I really don't feel like there's any space for a sponsorship in, in a piece of content like this, nor do I want any tie in where like anyone has a say in how it comes out, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree with that. So maybe there's a world where, you know, it's not necessarily this direct piece, but we're able to fund this if we launch a Patreon and we have the audience's support to go make content like this. Have I been foreshadowing this? Yes. For ages. For ages. Are we going to do it? Maybe. <laughs> Who knows? Okay, wait. Quick follow-up to the, to the gear question on the subreddit. Uh, this is from... Uh, why do I try and say the names? Gearling guy? Girling guy? I don't know. Um, quick follow-up. Did you have wireless labs as well, or did you record everything using on-camera shotguns? Audio seems to be often difficult with more live run and gun style videos, so I'm always trying to see what other people are doing. In the beginning, I saw Jimmy get wired up for sound before entering the mall, but I'm wondering if you guys had a sound guy to make sure his mic was always on when you're recording or if it was more complex than that. It's actually less complex than that. When he's getting mic'd up, it's not for us. Yeah, that's for the documentary crew that was there filming, filming with him. him. Yeah. So, and we don't know what they're doing with that footage. We have no that's idea. That's probably yeah. them playing the long game. So we couldn't lav him up because, you know, another crew was laving him up. But that's, that was an interesting thing. Again, like, as we mentioned at the top of the show, everything about what we do is about building trust. So Jimmy's team didn't know what this was going to look like, right, when we showed up. So Jimmy obviously was excited to have us out there filming but the Mr. Beast production team doesn't know what the hell we're doing. Like we're the, we're other two other guys trying to yeah. film. Like they're like, what are these guys doing here? You know? Yeah, and so we're extra on we're, top we're extra. of so all the madness that's happening. So they're like, they're like, you guys are not our priority, yeah. you know, <laughs> which is fair. Um, I think like next time around, everyone will understand the context of if Colin and Samir are here, what are they putting together? You know, but whether it's trust to the audience, trust to the creator, trust to the, the company, Mr. Beast, no one knew what we were doing there. There were just, there was people who didn't even know who we were. And they were like, what, what the hell are these guys? Why are these guys always around filming? We had some wireless lobs and we were able to mic up coupled. We mic'd up Reed yeah, we mic'd and up Robbie. Reed, yeah. uh, Jimmy's manager. We yeah. mic'd up Robbie from the Beast Burger team and the chef at one point. But, you know, we couldn't even monitor it. Yep. You know, it was pretty blown out. We had to get some help to fix it. Yep. Uh, in the future, if we were to do this again, I would want to have a better system for 
when we do interviews with people and, and loving them up because it does make for really like an interesting piece when you have different talking heads who are adding perspective to what's happening. Yep. All right. Um, I asked a question on our YouTube community tab has 20,000 votes said, how did you watch our last video TV phone or computer? Did you look at this? I didn't no? look at this. Okay. What do you think the breakdown is? I think it's heavily phone. I think it goes phone, computer, TV. That's right. 73% phone. Yeah. 20% computer, 7% TV. I watch everything on my phone. YouTube, Netflix, doesn't matter. I'm watching it on my phone. I'm all about the TV these days. YouTube TV while I'm cooking, YouTube videos, all on the TV right now. But you watch the news. I'm old school, Yeah, man. you're old school. I'm into this new age of live. Yeah, right? sure. <laughs> Give me some live cable. Sure. It's amazing. You never know what's going to happen. All right. So if you guys do have more questions about, you know, the doc and, and how we look moving forward on that, uh, feel free to pop them in the subreddit. We'll go through and answer some of those. I answered some questions uh, yesterday, just popping in there. Um, so feel free to ask them there. We'll answer them. Um, might take us some time, but we'll answer them. Uh, and thanks again for, for all the love on that. It's been really overwhelming and um, we're excited. We're excited for what's next. Uh, and I think 2023 will look, will look different for us. All right. A video question from Olick who? Olick who? Olick, uh, I don't know. All right. Here's the question. Hey, Colin Samir. My name's Alec. My handles online is Alec Who, like a play on Alec, but Who and Owl and the Who and Who. I thought it was pretty creative for branding. My question is, should we as creators be taking advantage of LinkedIn? If so, how? I hear y'all talk about it a lot. And with the change in Twitter, I want to know other sources that we could be using. For example, I make gaming videos and TikToks, currently focusing on short form. I'm in the middle of a whole process to going long form, but I make gaming news TikToks, kind of like the one I'll pop here. I don't think I should be posting those. Should I be posting what like my growth journey is? If I have a video do really well, do I post those statistics? Do I just post milestones? Or is this something I don't even need to worry about? Am I just using it to like catalog how I am as a creator? Right now I'm working part-time with my goal to be yes to full-time create videos. Though if I were to have a side job or another job until I'm financially stable, I hope to one day work in social media or marketing or something with the game company along those lines. Should I be focusing just on that and maybe use that for the future? At the end of the day, and maybe it's a longer video, what should creators do about LinkedIn. Thanks for your time. I started the grind literally because I came across one of your videos. It was after the Ludwig one and it made me go, you know what? Maybe I could do this. That's crazy. That's, That's really cool. cool. Well, thanks Alec. I would say, obviously we, we post on LinkedIn and we'll get to that, but I would say even outside of LinkedIn, when you look at posting across any of the platforms that are out there, or when you're looking at which platforms you should post on, especially if you're just getting started, something really interesting that Nasir from Nas Daily told us when we interviewed him on the channel was you should think about which platforms have a mismatch between supply and demand. Mm -hmm. So on a platform like LinkedIn, there is a really high demand for content, but potentially a low supply because they're in the earlier stages of building out a much bigger content ecosystem. Like creators don't necessarily always think about video, right? Creating just for LinkedIn, go over to YouTube there's a high demand, uh, but there's also a really high supply. So mm -hmm. it's extremely competitive. And, you know, I think there's an opportunity that you could potentially build a much bigger following uh, quickly on a platform like LinkedIn and stand out than if you were to start right away on YouTube. 
I think you just have to understand the context of why, right? Like, why are we on LinkedIn? Well, we are on LinkedIn because we tell a B2B story. Like our audience is listening and watching and consuming for some level of professional development, whether it's education about the creator economy, education about how to run your business as a creator, storytelling education, marketing education. There's some level of development that you're getting from us. It's possible you're also just here for entertainment. You like the way we talk. But our hope is that you're here to, to glean some value from us. And the context of the platforms that we use, they follow that same trajectory, right? So newsletter is a great example. Email, people who open email, who want an email newsletter, they are professionals who are looking for information, knowledge, looking for an edge in their career, right? So we send newsletters through the published press. LinkedIn, that platform is really great for us because the, the things we talk about, even this FTX conversation we started, that's a conversation that people on LinkedIn would want to have around like how should creators vet brands. Now, additionally, LinkedIn allows us to connect with the type of people who use LinkedIn, which is professionals, marketers, heads of brands, heads of agencies who are spending. And so as a creator, it does also give you exposure. So Alec, with your goal of wanting to potentially work in social media for a gaming company, LinkedIn's also a massive recruiting platform. It's a job board. So you essentially, through creating content about what you're doing, you're kind of building a level of a resume. You're like talking about what you know, your skill set, what you're learning. And I think that offers a lot of opportunity for people to connect with you and for you to connect with others to potentially lead you to that scenario of either getting more brand partnerships, collaborators, or even eventually getting a job. So it, it all depends on the context. If, if you're really looking at LinkedIn as like a monetizable video platform, that's not something, in my opinion, that you should, you should use it for. If you're really looking at it to tell your own story, share insights, connect with other professionals, I think that's how you should use LinkedIn and why you should use it. So you should always think about the context of the audience on the platform. Yeah, I think it's about like, how does the medium impact the message that you're telling? right? Or what you're trying to say. And in this instance, like LinkedIn, as you're saying, has a very specific subset of people who log on with what they are, uh, something that they're trying to accomplish, right? Mm -hmm. And so that will change the way that your message is received, as opposed to if you were going to put it on like TikTok or something. Right. So yeah, I mean, Twitter, for example, he brings up Twitter in that saying like, what do we do about the changes on Twitter? I don't know. Well, I don't know the answer to that question. It's, it's, I mean, uh, speaking of. Musk, I know. Tweet from Elon. All unpaid legacy blue check marks will be removed in a few months. That's us. That's us, man. We're unpaid. What an exciting time that was to get the verified check mark. And there it goes. He's changing the whole context of the verified check mark. It's insane. Like he Is this a gripe you have? Let's get into this gripe. Th this gripe, it's like how dare you, Elon? Did you see what happened with LeBron James? No. Someone got the handle King James with like two S's with the, with the verified check, same avatar, and tweeted out like, I've loved my time at the Los Angeles oh Lakers. Oh my goodness. And it went crazy viral. And like, it was talked about on ESPN. Oh my gosh. Like, it's, it's insane what's happening. Like, he, the social dynamics of the check mark matter. Yeah. I it also matters. Think I've, I've been conditioned that when someone 
interacts with us. Right. Who has with a, a check. blue check mark? You should pay attention to it. I pay attention and yeah. I go look I look at their account to see like who is this person. And it's always someone for the most part who like in their byline has something kind of interesting mm-hmm. and explains probably why they're verified. Now when I click on someone who's verified, sometimes it's like a really early new account and I don't get any sense of of who this person is and why they're engaging with us or who they are. And uh, yeah, it's just not the same product. It's man. not the same product. You want to know another gripe? Hit me. When you hold the door open for someone and they don't acknowledge it all, they just walk right through. You know what's a gripe of mine? Huh? You've done that gripe on this podcast. Oh my God. Okay. What about when you say, <clears throat> sorry, I was, <clears throat> my voice was, was getting completely lost. You're just trying there. to really move on quickly <clears throat> from the fact that you just double griped. Listen, I don't remember what I say on this podcast. I could say anything. Wow. Okay. We were on a hike the other day. Um, and we, you know, you do like the head nod, good morning to people. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Good morning. Uh-huh. When you pass on a hiking trail, yep. it's a tight track. You're walking by each other, potentially rubbing shoulders, potentially doing a little shimmy dance to get around each other. Uh-huh. It's nice to acknowledge each other. Yeah. I don't like when there's no acknowledgement. If, especially if you do like a head nod, like, oh, good morning. And the other person doesn't do anything. Should at least nod your head. Nah. What do you mean? Nah? I understand. It's a nice pleasantry. But sometimes on a hike, I'm huffing, I'm puffing, my head's down. I'm, I'm not thinking about anybody else. I'm just trying to get through. But you don't that know what matter. that person's going through, man. They might be like, listen. <laughs> that doesn't matter. Thank if you, you for go the acknowledgement. I'm glad hike. that you're in a place where you can acknowledge other people, but I am currently struggling. Disagree. If you go on a public hike, your expectation, even if you're down in the dumps, should be, I'm at least going to head, head nod and do like the, the mumble. That was a... You know what I mean? You know that yeah, mumble? But, but these oh, dynamics yeah. are strange because you're, you're two ships passing in the night. Um, there are some times where someone will say- In the morning though. It's the daytime. Okay, sure. But it's Ships passing in the night. It's totally different right, because it's dark right, out. I'll be exactly literal. Yeah. You're two hikers passing on a trail in the morning. Yeah. All right? You're going uh-huh. separate directions. Here. It's difficult. Someone, they can go, hey, head nod, whatever. But if the next person says, how you doing? I'm already two or three steps in front of you. Am I supposed to say, okay, I'm, s- oh, hey, th- I'm to, good. I'm great. To all the people who are committed to this show and are still listening, let me say something. The how you doing is not a real question. That's another version. Yeah, it's a salutation. How, but how do I know? It's a man. How you doing? There's no expectation that you, re- you respond outside of, oh, yeah. How but, you doing? But what if as a reflex, I say, yeah, I'm good. How you doing? And now we're five to six feet apart. We're going in different directions. There's no expectation to carry on the conversation. Uh, it's a salutation. But there's no that's rules. Like, that's there. like saying, there's hello, no rules hello. These, aren't, these rules aren't written. These rules are written. If you're a hiker, these are written rules. Or a walker. If you go on morning walks in a neighborhood, these are written rules. You know what's another strange one is when you're on a walk with uh, a dog Ugh. and someone acknowledges the dog, but not you. Yeah. I, listen, I took you care know, of it. You know, cause you're like, am I supposed to interject here and like uh, also say hi, but I, you're only interested in the dog. I don't understand dog culture at all. I, I have watched my friend's dogs. And when I was walking them, I was walking and there was another person with a dog walking towards me and they don't even acknowledge either of us. They just go friendly, friendly dog. Well, of course. And I was like, I, I don't know. What's, I don't know. I'm watching this dog. I don't know if this dog, is your dog friendly? Is my dog friendly? I have dog no friendly? idea. Yeah. Is any dog friendly? Are we just suggesting that how they act is just how they're always going to act? Is it safe for me to assume that if I need someone to watch Lacey, you're not, you're out. Don't, don't call you. I have watched many a dog. So that's, okay. I'm not going to sit here and say, I won't do it. But you're not happy about it. 
I'm not happy about it. Okay, but I'll well, do then it. I'm not going to do it. No, but I'll do it. No, I, I'm not going to do it. But I'll do it. I know that no. Most of the things I do in my life, I'm not happy about. <laughs> is That's Katie, a bad would, joke. Would Katie That's be happy joke. about it or no? Is she also not happy about it? Uh, she, in theory, would be, but she's not actually happy. Right, like, so then you're, yeah, you're out. Just yeah, take yourself out. Our household out. is not. Just say it. you're we're out. Just, I had a dog growing up, but we're just not a dog household right now. That's fine. Yeah. Just be honest. All right. Well, thanks for listening to this episode of Creator Support. Again, if you guys want to go back and hear about the making of the Mr. Beast doc, you can go back and listen to our last episode um, and stay tuned. We have some great videos coming out with Mark Rober as well as a Creator Merch video, part five of that series. Now, next Thursday is Thanksgiving here in the U.S. If you're from the U.S., happy early Thanksgiving. If you're not from the U.S., that is why we will not have an episode next Thursday. We will have one on Monday. Won't have one next Thursday. So happy Thanksgiving to you. We'll see you next week. Yeah. New York Nico followed us on Instagram. It was a couple of days ago. Yeah, but he's very verified. Nice. And now yeah. I'm looking at it. That's great. See, he's verified. That's how we know. Shout out. Shout out New York Nico. Instagram, where verification still means matters. something. Still matters. All right. See ya. Bro.